Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's up, everyone? R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. Me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I am damn near brain dead right now. I'm not going to lie to you. I am extremely, extremely, extremely tired. I'm basically right now just running on fumes. I'm more tired than the whore on the first day of the month. Not sure if you get that reference. Guys get paid first day of the month. You know, if they're going to go to a whorehouse, it's going to be that time when you have money. Either way, it was a stupid reference. I just made it up on the spot. But, um, dude, I'm, I'm freaking exhausted, man. Now, I tend to have a bad habit in recording these podcasts very late at night, which I should fix. Um, what I should be doing is recording it right after I'm done watching it on that Sunday morning or maybe even a Saturday night once it's completely done so i'm excited for the fights everything's so fresh in my mind in my memory and we're good to go um usually when i'm record if i'm recording this podcast i'm doing it like monday night or like a sunday night super late where i'm just like fucking exhausted and brain dead from the entire day that's definitely something got change um it is a work in progress we are learning as we go here but yeah, so if you see me more energized these next couple of podcasts going forward because I finally got the timing right and recording it during the time of the days where I had more energy and not to the point where I literally just want to sleep. But this is episode 11 of round six MMA talk. And I'm going to be going over last week's fight card, which was Faziah against Dos Anjos, a little Rafael, Rafael crime. I'm going to be going over the next fight card that's happening next week, which is Yair against Brian Ortega. That one will be actually happening in New York. What's up, baby? It's in Long Island, actually. Thought about going, but decided not to. Um, and of course, MMA news slash drama that's happening in the sphere. So I want to jump into it now. First, we have up is Michael Johnson against Malarkey. Now, this is easily five of the night. This fight was freaking epic and amazing. That first round was incredible. The second round, Malarkey was really putting them on him there. The third round, of course, incredible. Now, there's a little bit of controversy regarding the judging and the ruling. I'm going to get into that later. But in that first round, I was kind of shocked in how Malarkey was playing it. He was really throwing caution to the wind there. He has so many different aspects and ways that he can win a fight. But he was kind of fighting Michael Johnson's fight. And you don't want to fight Michael Johnson's fight. Dude, Michael Johnson is fucking dangerous. He's an extremely dangerous dude. You don't want to fight his fight. Because if you fight Michael Johnson's fight, you're going to end up getting knocked out. Because the dude just has that power still. Yeah, he is older. And yeah, his record is, you know... Not the best is basically, you know, 50 and 50, but dude, he has some serious power. Power is a lasting to go in age. We all know that his hand speed is still very good, as we can see in the fight. And he's just a fighter that you just don't want to fight his fight. So I feel like in that first round, who was really fighting Michael Johnson's fight, Michael Johnson never really utilized leg kicks in his career. I think Malarkey was doing a good job. He was like utilizing a lot of kicks to keep him at distance a little bit. He didn't utilize leg kicks. It was more so kicks to the head, kicks to the body. 
Um, eventually, Michael Johnson dropped him, dropped him pretty bad. I think Michael Johnson swarmed him a little bit too much. He really went in there, swarmed Malarkey, um, wasn't able to put him away. He got Malarkey into like a, like a guillotine position. I think that was submission. Try to get him in. Malarkey was able to get out. And dude, shout out to Malarkey, man, because you have to have a chin on you in order to take a shot like that from Michael Johnson, get dropped, and come back out and still, you know, arguably one to later half of that round. So, of course, after he gets dropped, gets back up towards the end of the round, he drops Michael Johnson. Now, personally, I thought in real time, because I only watched the fights once this week, actually. Usually, I watch them twice. I only watched it once this week. Um, and I always say, if it's a close fight, watch it twice. I gave Malar Malarkey that first round because I, I personally, from when I was viewing it, I thought he did the more effective striking. Um, and both men got a knockdown. So, it, you know, they kind of balanced, cancels itself out there. The second round was definitely Malarkey. Malarkey was putting it on Johnson at times where I thought Johnson might get put away here. He was taking some big shots. Malarkey was doing a heck of a job switching up his striking, you know, utilizing knees, elbows, punches in the clinch. He was, he was laying it on Johnson. Johnson, of course, has a chin on him too. I could have sworn he was going to go out. But Johnson survives. And in the third round, I think that was Johnson's round. It was a very close round that last round. But I think Johnson got the better of him a little bit, edged him out there. So when Malarkey was named victorious in the round, I really, I wasn't alarmed by him. I'm like, yeah, he deserved to win that one. Now, I'm like the only person who thought that. Because everyone else in MMA sphere thought Michael Johnson won. Um, so this is why I also always say, if it's a close fight, you want to go back, rewatch it, just to see. You know, because you could be wrong. So... At the end of the day, is it a true robbery? Not really. It was a very, very close fight. And I'm, I'm happy that Malarkey won because he's still new in his career and his development. I want to see it progress more. And, you know, Michael Johnson towards the later ends of his career. As far as what's left for Michael Johnson, I think it's what his fourth straight loss now. Dude, honestly, man, did I have a trend. I, I, I have a trend. I noticed this. Whenever a fighter that's older loses, I'm always like, yo, retirement. And it's never because I'm shitting on him or saying that he can't fight anymore. Obviously, Michael Johnson is still dangerous no matter who he's fighting. But, dude, he, he, you know, he does have the best record in the world. He's been fighting forever in a lighter weight class where the older you are, it's, just, it's at your detriment. And on top of that, you know, I just don't want to see older fighters continuously taking damage like that. He didn't really take too much damage in this fight, Michael Johnson. But either way, man, this shit adds up over years and years and years of fighting. So I really wouldn't complain that Michael Johnson retired. But I don't think he has to retire. Like someone like a Cowboy Cerrone needed to retire. That's a little bit different. Because he was getting TKO'd and put out. It's a difference in you're older in age and you're losing but still very competitive. Or if you're getting put out in your fights, getting constantly TKO'd left and right. So if Michael Johnson sticks around a little bit longer, I'm not going to complain. I would like to see him go off on the win and retire that way. But either way, he's on the older side. I do enjoy watching Michael Johnson fight. It's always exciting. Um, I think he got, what, one, two, three more at most. And he should, he should, I think he should call it quits afterwards. Now I'm going to get into Namaga Mayoff against Silva de Andrade. And, dude... It's, it's funny, because when you think of someone with the last name Namaga Madoff, you immediately think of wrestling. 
you think of Dagestani, I'm going to smash you wrestling. And that's not the case with Saeed at all. The dude is a fucking phenomenal striker. Phenomenal striker. More so in kicks than he is in um, his hands. His hands, they do need some work. His boxing needs some work. But at kicking range, bro, he'll light you up all day. He's like the male version of Michelle Waterson, who will be fired next week, ironically. But like their kick dexterity, um, that kicking range, bro, they're just going to light you up night and day. And that's what Saeed was doing. Saeed was utilizing that kicking range, that kickbox, that kicking range perfectly. Perf- I was going to say kickboxing, excuse me. But he was utilizing that kicking range perfectly against Douglas. Douglas really couldn't get any inside and touch him too much. Saeed was just lighting him up with different kinds of kicks. Now, he does need to work on his hands a little bit. That's something that he should work on. He should work on throwing more combinations and utilizing it that way as well because he's just one two of the kicks he's basically just like not utilizing his hands at all for the most part which listen if it's gonna win you the fight cool and if it's gonna get to the point where your opposition can't even touch you or have a hard time closing the distance perfectly fine too but i think there's something he should definitely be working on i think some kicks he'll be able to land more and cause more damage if he was able to throw combinations behind it. That's one thing I would love to see him work on. His takedown defense is still phenomenal as well. He has the ability to take people down and submit them. We 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 saw that in his last fight and his last victory. Um, but Douglas just seemed like he couldn't close the distance effectively. Man, he was kind of throwing caution to the wind a little bit. He was looking for that big shot. The dude has serious knockout power at 135, but. He just effectively wasn't able to close the distance. Saeed really reminds me of Zabit. I think their fighting style is very similar. I think Zabit was a little bit more reckless in how he approached fights. But I think their fighting style, it's basically the same in that aspect. So we lost Zabit, but we gained Saeed. So I'm not too sad about that. There's one thing that Saeed needs to work on, which is he does an excellent job doing you know spinning back kicks um spinning roundhouse kicks but he does it too often he's spinning elbow spinning back fist he does it way too often that's the thing it's like every other strike was a spinny attack and you guys know how i feel about spinny shit spinny shit can't if saeed can utilize spinny shit he can utilize spinning back kicks spinning elbows spinning back fist he does it very well but he was just doing it too often with no setup to the point where he was missing it and it was here's the thing when you throw a spinning back kick when you land it can do devastating damage if you miss you just gave your back to your opponent so it's it's a it's a i think it's a attack that you shouldn't be doing often recklessly just spamming spinning kicks man you shouldn't be doing that at all and that's what happened to Saeed. He, he tried to do a spinning back kick he didn't land it. He got caught. He got dropped in that round. He got up right away. But either way, dude, that could have ended terribly in a fight that he was winning because he was constantly utilizing the same move over and over again. I would like to see him do a, a little bit less of it to, to pick it out carefully, um, to throw some combinations behind it. But either way, dude, uh, phenomenal performance by Saeed. Um, the, I think Douglas, the last person that Chidavera lost to besides... Jose Aldo was Douglas. So, dude, 
these dudes are not even ranked and they're that good. That's how good the 135 division is nowadays. These two guys, not even ranked and they're good. Honestly, we're jumping the gun here, but I would love to see Saeed fight someone like uh, like a Corey Sanhagen or maybe even like a Sean O'Malley, maybe like a Cheetah Vera. There's so many good matchups you can do at 135, and it's, honestly, it's probably it's the division I'm probably the most excited for. That at 145. But now I want to get into Baraglio against Petrosian. And honestly, there's really not much to go over here. Baraglio completely controlled Petrosian for the entire fight. He did strong blast double legs to get him down to the ground, controlled him on the ground the entire time. He was talking a lot of crap saying that Petrosian doesn't have a good ground game, so I would have liked to see him finish his opponent a little bit. You know, if you're t if you're talking all this crap and you're saying that your opponent's ground game is lackluster, but either way, dude, he went in there, he utilized his game plan. Petrosian, we all know, great striking, but Baralio just completely dominated him on the ground. And I'm excited to see Baralio's development. He's a very good fighter. I think they're fast-tracking him a little bit. I think they're fast-tracking a lot of people at 185 a little bit. Just because that division, it's it's kind of lackluster right now. You know, Adesanya, the champion, beat all the big names already. It's just constantly going through them and cycling over again. Um, so they're, they're just trying to find new, fresh matchups for that division, which I don't blame him for. But he is very good. I would love to see more of him. He kind of reminds me of Paulo Costa. I don't know why. Maybe it's the looks and the glasses. Um, but I, I just have to be honest here. Baralo, I fucking love you, bro. But your tattoos are so bad. He has free spirit across the neck. It's just, listen, MMA is full of bad tattoos. I personally don't have any tattoos because I'm a little bitch. But when anyone who has multiple tattoos... There are going to be a few bad ones. Most of the time, there are more bad ones than there are good ones. So that's just a given. And that's just like a fact of life. Again, I can't really judge too much because I don't have any tattoos. Because I don't feel like going through all the work. And I don't know what to get or where to put it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But bro, like the free spirit across the neck of some of the other tattoos, bro. It's just, it's not sexy, man. They're not great tattoos. But either way, he stands for a good cause. He's hyper against bullying, doesn't like that shit. I 100% agree with him. He's a good dude, seems like a good dude, a great fighter. I love to see him progress more and, and, and want to see what's next for him there. And then we have the main event, which was Fazayev against Dos Anjos. Now, right off the gate, Dos Anjos did a good job clinching. Dos Anjos is going to win the fight. That was going to be the correct game plan. Try to wrestle, get in the clinch, make it a dirty fight. Don't let Fazeev get in that kicking range. Um, really start chopping at the legs. Try to wrestle him, get him to the ground, control him in that position if you're able to. That was going to be the game plan if Dosanjo was able to win. Now he was able to clinch Fazeev. The only issue is he wasn't able to take him to the ground. Fazeev's, I just said Fazeev, Fazeev. Vazayev's takedown defense is fucking incredible. I think after this fight, his takedown defense suffered like one percentage. So it was like 92 now, which is one of the highest in the UFC. So dude, his takedown defense is fucking phenomenal. Um, I think Dos Anjos did a good job utilizing the clinch right away. I had Fazeev winning one, two, and three, honestly. 
I just think he did better effective striking. I think Dos Anjos won round four. I think that was when he was finally able to take Fazeev to the ground. Fazeev looked tired in that round. Um, and it, and Fazeev was actually doing some wrestling in his own in that round too. I believe it was round four. But I gave that round to Dos Anjos. I believe it was round three or four. Could be mistaken. But I had Dos Anjos winning one of those rounds. Then round five, right out the gate. Even when Fazayev is, you know, clearly looking tired, which was going to, that was my, what I was curious about going into this fight. Because it was his first five round fight. And I, di I didn't expect him to put out Dos Anjos. I thought it was going to be a hard drawn, unanimous decision going to full five. Because the last time Dos Anjos was TKO was back in what, 2016, 2015, something crazy like that. So I didn't expect him to TKO. Dos Anjos, but what I was really curious about was how Fazayev was going to fare in those later rounds, in round four, in round five. Was he going to be visibly tired? How was he going to perform? And he performed fairly well, man. The fact that you visibly look tired and you're exhausted and you're able to TKO your opponent still is impressive. Now, regarding the stoppage, I, I think it was a little early. Now, Fazayev said it, it, the stoppage was fine. Dos Anjos even said the stoppage is fine. He said afterwards that the stoppage is perfectly fine. So if he's saying it's fine, the dude who got stopped saying the stoppage is fine, who the fuck am I to say anything? But personally, I would have liked to see it continue a little bit more. Just a little bit more. I thought maybe it was a tad bit early. But either way, I really wasn't mad at the stoppage at all. Fazayev was clearly winning that fight, three rounds to one. He's probably going to win that fifth round afterwards. Even though Tosanos won that round, um, he wasn't going to win the fight. So I'm not too mad at Dosanos. I mean, the uh, the ref calling that fight a little bit early, if I thought it was a little bit early. But, dude, it was a fairly entertaining card from top to bottom. No complaints here. A lot of finishes within the card. Um... Fazayev calls out Justin Gaethje afterwards, which is very, very interesting. I think that's a great fight. I don't know if I favor Fazayev in that fight because Gaethje utilizes a lot of leg kicks. He's going to start chopping at the legs right away. Fazayev, as we know, Francis as a kicker. Um, on top of that, Gaethje can go the full five. I don't know if Fazayev can go the full five. It's a five-round fight. Gaethje throws bombs and hits his opponents with bombs. Um, we haven't really seen Fazayev chin tested too much. So I don't know how that fight will fare out. But it would be a very entertaining fight, regardless what the outcome is. And it's a step in the right direction for Fazayev. Because he's already, what, he's ranked number 7 right now? And Gaethje's ranked number 4? So it's only going up from here. He's only going to be fighting the Monsters Division. So... I'm excited to see him progress in his career and see uh, um, what's next for him. Now I'm, I'm going to be getting to MMA news and drama. Jalen Turner thinks he's knocking on the door of a title shot. He had an interview earlier this week. And he says he's, a, he's, a, he's knocking on the door of a title shot. He's a few fights away from a title shot. I really like Jalen Turner. I really do. I, I really, really like Jalen Turner. I think he's a great fighter. I think he has a lot of potential. 
I don't think he's knocking on the door of a title shot, though. Because I think he has a five-fight win streak and a, and a win over Brad Riddell, which is impressive. But, dude, when you look at the top of that division, and especially that everything is all over the place right now because technically we don't have a champion and we don't know when Charles is going to fight Islam. And if he is going to fight Islam or if Alexander Volkanovski is going to come up to fight and you have new contenders coming up in the ranks like Sarukian, Gamrot, Fazayev knocking on the door. You have old contenders still in there like Dustin Poirier, Justin Gaethje. It's just, and you have Connor coming back, so maybe the UFC will fucking do what they do and give the man a title shot doesn't fucking deserve. So, the division's kind of a mess right now. It's kind of all over the place. And especially in 155, which is probably the deepest division in all of MMA, it's going to take you, you're not knocking on the door of a title shot. I'm not saying he, can get a, he can't get a title shot. I think he can. I think he, it is possible for him to work his way up there. Um, it's going to be hard going against some of these monsters, but I think he has potential and he could do it. And he's still on the younger side. He still you know, can't progress. But to think that you're a few fights away from the title shot, man, it, uh, I think it's kind of unrealistic there. Then we have Tony Kelly getting cut from the UFC. Honestly, I'm not mad at this, man. I'm not mad at this. I... It has to be because of the 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 whole racist remarks and him getting slack for it. And maybe Disney says something about it because I don't think he was coming off a, a losing streak. I don't really know his record. Actually, let me pull it up real fast. Let me look up what's his record because I don't believe he's coming off of a losing streak after his loss against Adrian Yanez. So let's look up Tony Kelly right now. Pulling them up. He only has three losses. Yeah, he was he was coming off of two wins. And he got this one loss. And now he got cut from USC. Yeah, it's definitely because of the racist remarks. And listen, dude. I just don't want racism in the UFC, bro. Like, I just don't want it, man. I just don't want it. I don't want racist remarks, especially against Brazilians. I love Brazilian women. So I don't I, I don't want people to be racist against my Brazilians, bro. So I'm happy he got cut from the UFC, to be honest with you. He is a fairly good fighter still. Maybe he can go to take his races ass to Bellator. But I am not mad at all that he got cut. I know for sure it has to be because of the racist remarks. Now we have O'Malley saying that Munoz robbed him of the KO with faking the eye poke and that kind of shit. And it's just, this is just O'Malley being O'Malley. It's just Sean O'Malley being Sean O'Malley. That's all it is. He has a specific brand to, he has a brand. So he's just trying to keep up the brand. It was an unfortunate end to the fight that he was honestly losing. But just to have, and MMA Twitter is still talking about this. They're saying that Pedro Munoz backed out of the fight, that... He did a cop-out. He thought he was going to get the, the disqualification victory, etc., etc., etc. Listen, bro. He was up. He was winning that first round. He won the first round just the scorecards. I think he was winning the second round. It was clear that he was winning the second round. On top of that, he committed one foul, Sean O'Malley. Kicked Munoz in the balls. If Munoz was able to continue in that second round, O'Malley should have got a point taken away because he already committed one foul. So he should have got that point taken away because he already committed. That was the second foul already of the fight. 
So he was already losing that round. So it would have been a 10-9 or a 10-8 round. So that third round, he would have had to go out there and get the finish or he was going to lose. And we all know Pedro Munoz doesn't get finished. So it was going to be an uphill battle for him to begin with. So honestly, this no contest kind of saved his little run that he's got going on. Because I, I honestly think he was going on to lose that fight and lose all the momentum that he was building up since the whole Cheeto Vera debacle. So, not even debacle. He got finished. So, I, I think he lucked out here. I would love to see the fight you run back, to be honest with you. Now, how I feel about fights being... I, I'm kind of... It depends. Because Pedro Moves was already winning that fight. But now Sean O'Malley knows Pedro Munoz's game plan. So we might see a different outcome of the fight. So I'm not sure how I feel about the fight being run back. Maybe they can have two different competitors or something. I don't know. Maybe have Sean O'Malley fight someone like a Frankie Edgar. I don't know. I don't know. I have to look at the vision to see. But dude, just just the notion that you know Pedro Munoz backed out because he thought he was going to get decision victory is not the case at all. And the thing about eye pokes, we never really know how bad it is. One, because we're not getting poked in the eye. And two, bro, you can get a cut cornea easily. Or you can, you know, get to a point where you just can't open your eye. So I honestly didn't think that Pedro Moore's backed out of the fight. Bro, the man's been in wars. And he was not, he didn't take any damage in that fight. So just this notion that, and he was winning. So just this notion that he did it. On purpose and he faked it. I just think it's fucking retarded to be honest with you. Now we have DC get inducted into the Hall of Fame. But him finally admitting that he cheated holding the towel in that infamous way. And here's the thing, right? We all know DC cheated. We all knew it. Like I watched that video so many times. Obviously, he's applying pressure to the towel so that he can make the weight. His fat ass can make the weight. Fucking love DC though. But we, we all knew he was cheating. We all knew he was cheating. So him admitting it, it's like, okay, we all knew. But here's the thing now. Now it just makes kind of makes the UFC look bad because they're laughing about it. Oh, DC cheated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we strip Charles Oliveira the title. And it's not the governing body didn't strip Charles Oliveira. It's not boxing where the promoter doesn't have in charge of the belts itself. But the UFC has a charge of the belt. So they can easily just give Oliveira the title back. Easily just give him the title back. Because of the issue with the scales and etc. 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 But they're not going to do that. So it's just a bad look and it just doesn't make sense. So you have someone who knowingly cheated on the scales to, you know, to, uh, to make way for the title belt. But then you could have a possible issue on the scales with calibrating and that kind of stuff. And someone misweight by half a pound that we're not going to give them the belt back. And just having the division kind of in disarray. It really just makes no sense. Just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And I think the UFC could definitely handle this better. But I just thought it was funny that DC finally fucking admitted that he cheated. Now we have Mighty Mouse says that Khabib's legacy is amazing but wish he fought more. And he went to go on and say, you know, that what Khabib was able to accomplish in MMA was nothing short of amazing. What he was able to do and how dominant he was, nothing short of amazing, yada, yada, yada. But he just wished he saw him fight more. So there was a couple of fights that he wished he would have seen or wished he would have, you know, 
saw the outcome and matchups for Khabib and some of these other fighters, and we just never got to see it. And it's the truth, man. And I've been saying this forever. Listen, it doesn't matter if Oliveira loses the next fight or he goes on to defend his belt two, three more times. The thing is, Khabib left early. And I get it. His dad died, and it was traumatic for him. And he thought, you know, since his dad's been on from day one, that it's time for him to retire. I'm not judging his retirement at all. Like, I'm not downplaying his dad's death or that he shouldn't have retired. Like, I, I totally 100% understand. And I love that he was one of the few fighters who left on top. The One of the very few fighters that actually left on top and, ha- and want, had as wanting more. Um, which, in the case of MMA, it just doesn't happen nowadays. Or doesn't happen ever. For exception of, like, GSP. Literally, for exception of GSP. But... We'll always have the notion of how would the Charles Oliveira uh, Khabib fight go? Or how would Khabib Alexander Volkanovsky go? Or the Tony Khabib fight? I think, I think as of now, Khabib would do horrific things to Tony. But that fight as well. Or Khabib Chandler. Or Khabib, insert name. Or Khabib Sarukian. Khabib Gamrot. Khabib Fazayev. So we never got to see all these amazing matchups for Khabib because he left early. And that's just going to be his legacy, man. That's the issue. So, as I said beforehand, especially with Charles Oliveira, because he has stylistically a great chance to possibly beat Khabib. So, we'll always have that debate of would Charles have beaten Khabib? Would Khabib have beaten Charles? And the thing is, bro, we'll never know because Khabib retired early. Personally, in order to be the best in your division ever, you have to clear out your division. You can't leave no contenders. Everyone who could have challenged you, challenged you, and they fucking lost. That's what makes what GSP did so special, what Anderson Silva did so special, what John Jones did so special. Bro, John Jones cleared like, John Jones cleared light heavyweight two, three times. Literally, bro, two, three times. Two, three waves of defenders. Fucking beat them all. So, I mean, he didn't really be Reyes, but it is what it is. So, that's what makes those reigns so special. Mighty Mouse, too. Beat them all. So, we'll never, we'll always have that what if with Khabib. So, I completely understand where Mighty Mouse is coming from. Yeah, his legacy is amazing, but I think we all wish he would have fight more. And this is actually not MMA news, but I want to touch on it because I thought it was very interesting that he brought this up. So Brandon Schaub, regardless how you feel about him, some people love him, some people hate him. Literally, you love you, hate him. I, I think he's entertaining to listen to. Um, he was saying the Anasanya Pereira fight and going over that. And he made some interesting points that, from a business standpoint, no one is looking at. And I know for a fact I wasn't looking at. So he was saying, why would the UFC fast-track Pereira to fight Anasanya because business-wise, it's very short-sighted and doesn't make sense. And he goes on to explain that Anasanya against Pereira, yes, is going to sell a lot of pay-per-views because that storyline is already built in. It's an already built-in storyline. Pereira beat Anasanya twice in kickboxing. Mind you, in kickboxing, this also was years ago. He beat Anasanya the first time by decision. He beat Anasanya the second time by vicious knockout. Now, Anasani was whipping Pereira's ass in that second fight up until Pereira, with the fucking left hand of God, puts Anasani out, out cold, 
a very bad knockout. Like, the dude had to get, like, an oxygen tank to fucking keep him breathing and that kind of shit. It was crazy. But he beat him twice in kickboxing, and now they're fighting in MMA. Of course, there's two different sports. I do think it's going to be a standing match between the, the two. Pereira's game is very kickboxing-oriented. He likes to fight in kickboxing range. Anasani has more of a wider stance that I don't think Pereira would be used to. Of course, Pereira had beaten him twice before and still has that devastating knockout power. So it's a big what-if in that that uh, that fight. And we're all looking forward to see how it's going to play out. But what he's saying is that it's kind of a short-sighted money grab and it's going to cause more long-term problems if Pereira wins. And he put it as far as like this. Okay, Pereira wins, right? Boom, Pereira wins. He beat Izzy. Now, you have a chance. Izzy is one of the most... He's a pay-per-view star in a way. It, which is funny because he doesn't really finish his fights. He's never really been a finisher like that. He finished a few he finished a few fights. Like Paulo Costa. Like... Um, uh, Robert Whitaker. So he has finished his opponents in the past. But for the most part, his, his fights are very drawn out. And at times can be very boring. But because of his personality and who he is. And how entertaining he is. And press conferences and all that stuff. Uh, the casual fan base just gravitate towards him. And he became a star. So you have a star. A homegrown star in Anasanya. Fighting against Pereira. Pereira can't speak a lick of English. So yeah, you have the Brazil crowd excited for Pereira, but Pereira can't speak English at all. He's not someone who, you know, it because Oliveira can't really speak English either. But Oliveira captured a casual fans and a hardcore fans heart because of its his rocky kind of storyline where he came from the bottom, was on losing streaks, about to get cut from the UFC. Um and, you know, kind of rebuilt himself over the years. And now his champion and his fights are extremely fucking entertaining. So even though he can't speak a lick of English, people still love him because one, his fights are entertaining. And two, who he is, his character, and what he was able to accomplish in his career. And it's basically like, um, started from the bottom of a year. Started to fucking quote Drake. But it's the best thing I come up with at the time in my brain that's half dead. So... We don't have that for Pereira. He was a he was a double champ in glory kickboxing. Came over here, doesn't speak a lick of English. So yeah, you have the Brazilian crowd hype, but besides that, American crowd and everyone else, you you gave away the star to someone who doesn't speak English. And on top of that, he has no grappling. So even if he beats Izzy, everyone else in that division could grapple. He was given an example. Robert Whitaker, grapple. Vittori, grapple. Derek Brunson, grapple. Jack Hermanson, grapple. Um, Kevin Gaslam, grapple. Darren Till, doesn't grapple. Um, and Sean Stricken, obviously, doesn't grapple. And a few other people that he can beat, but a lot of the division are horrible matches for him because they can grapple. So you have that aspect, too. So you just threw out a star and on the Sanya for a cash grab of a money fight between two rivals, if you will. And he stylistically is not good for anyone else in the division because the division can grapple and his grappling defense, because he just came from kickboxing, no way it can be that good. 
So it was kind of an interesting way in a business aspect how he was able to see it. And I think he's right because I never really looked at it like that. Granted, the 185 division, it's stale right now. It's completely stale. There's not much going on in the division. There's really not much going on in the division. They're fast-tracking a lot of people. So this fight already has a storyline. It would sell. So what... And, Pereira actually has a legit chance of being the champion. If Pereira can't do it, no one else in that fucking division can do it, period. So why not pursue this fight? Which makes sense on a UFC standpoint too. But I just like the caveat that he gave from another business perspective. And I haven't heard anyone else talk about it. And I heard it and I found it very interesting. So I figured I'll relay it back to you. So of course, that's not my idea at all. I'm not claiming that idea. I just thought I'd go over it with you guys because I personally found it interesting too. And I haven't heard anyone else talk about it. Now I want to go over the Petri predictions for next week. Of course, next week is Yair against Brian Ortega. And I want to get into the main event, Yair against Brian Ortega. Yair is the underdog for this fight. I think he's, what, plus 200. Ortega is the the uh, the favorite. Now, there's a lot of people in the MMA sphere that just is like, that just, that just believe that Ortega is going to go through Yair. And I don't see that. Yair strike, even though Ortega's striking has improved since fighting Max Holloway and, you know, before that two-year stint, before his comeback against um, Korean Zombie and Volkanovski, etc., a lot of his, his, his striking has improved. He's not just a jiu-jitsu guy anymore. That being said, his striking is still not better than Yair. Yair has arguably the best striking in the division other than the champion... Um, Volkanovski and maybe Max Holloway. Then again, when we, when that fight between Yair and Max Holloway was happening, Yair was getting the better of Max on the feet. Yair was landing some big shots on Max on the feet, where anyone else would have got dropped to possibly put away. Now Max is able to utilize his wrestling and get Yair to the ground, but on the feet he was lighting Max up, and that's Max, bro. So. If it's on the feet, Yair is going to light Ortega up like a Mexican Christmas tree. He's going to light him up. Mexican, Mexican crime. He's going to light him up. Because Ortega is literally a walking target. He is a walking target. He doesn't have any defense. He just takes fucking damage. His thing is, I'm just going to take this damage and maybe I'll throw in a Hail Mary submission on you. That's like his shtick. Even though he improved on his striking, we see in his last fight. It's like his shtick. That's who he is. So, I I just think if or if Ortega is taking all this damage against someone who's a heavy hitter in Yair, who has far better striking, this is a this is not a great matchup for Ortega. Now, if Ortega could get it to the ground, then is Ortega's fight to win. Because we've seen someone in Max Holloway, who's really not known for his grappling, be able to hold Yair on the ground. So it was a possibility that Ortega can't do that. Also, the thing is, Ortega's grappling offense is not that good. And that's the issue with a lot of jiu-jitsu guys. A lot of jiu-jitsu guys, their grappling offense and their takedown offense is just simply not that good. Usually, when 
when you see how Ortega got a submission attempt on his opponent or got his opponent to the ground, it's one, he dropped him and got on top of him, like what happened with Volkanovski, or two, he jumped guillotine. I mean jump guillotine. He jumped, he uh, pulled guard, which is not very advisable in an MMA fight. Because if you pull guard, then you're taking submission over position, which is never smart. And if you don't get the submission, your opponent is full mounted on you and can fucking rain elbows like no tomorrow. So those are the only times he ever gets his opponent down. So his takedown offense and you know his grappling has never been that good. So I don't I don't have real faith that he can get Yair to the ground. So if he's gonna have if Ortega's gonna win this fight, he needs to get Yair to the ground. He needs to. If he doesn't, he's going to get lit up bad. So that being said, and on top of that, I don't really have faith in Ortega's takedown offense. So I'm giving this to Yair. I'm giving this to Yair. Straight up, I'm giving it to Yair. I have money bet on Yair. Yair is a plus 200 underdog. I'd say put $50 to $100 on him. I'm definitely going Yair. After that, and of course, Dana White said that the winner of that gets a title shot. It doesn't make sense to me. It really doesn't make sense to me. Like, bro, if Ortega wins, he just fought for the belt. Like, why? And Jair doesn't really, it doesn't warrant a towel shot just fighting one person and losing his last fight, which was against Max Holloway. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't like that. I really don't like people who are one and one fighting for a title shot. So I thought the winner, whoever wins this fight, should fight Emmett, who should fight for the title. But I think the UFC is like, yo, fuck Josh Emmett. We're just going to have one of these two dudes fight for the belt. It's a shame how they're just throwing Emmett on the sideline when he's the one who has the most oppressive win streak. One of the most oppressive win streaks in his division right now. Um, and he is of older age. I'd love to see him fight for a belt, but it is what it is. UFC is going to do what they're going to want to do. It's just how they roll. So, yeah, I have money on Yair. I think Yair is going to win this fight. I think Yair is going to light Ortega up. Ortega is going to have to pull guard to get Yair to the ground because if not... It's going to be a bad night for Ortega. Now, I want to get into Misha Tate against Lauren Murphy. Lauren Murphy is a tough out for everyone, anyone. For exception, if your name isn't Valentina Shevchenko. But in Misha Tate's last fight, it didn't necessarily go her way. She was getting lit up a little bit against Norma. Granted, Norma is a lot bigger than her. I think, I believe she was fighting Norma. I think I could be wrong. Please don't don't uh, hold me to such scrutiny during this time of my brain being half dead. But I think even in Misha Tate's old age and being far past her prime, I think skill set wise, she's still far better than Laura Murphy. And I had Misha Tate win this fight, most likely by unanimous decision. And now I want to go over against Michelle Morrison against Lemos. Now, I always love watching Michelle Morrison fight. She's honestly probably one of my favorite women's fighters. I love watching fight, watching to see her fight, just for the fact that her kicking dexterity, her kicking dexterity is of no one else I've ever seen in MMA. She literally can throw kicks like they're punches. 
the way she's able to throw these kicks is fucking phenomenal. Like, it really doesn't make any sense. She could throw a cross range. She can do, you know, a bunch of different techniques and styles that I haven't seen anyone else be able to do. So I love to see her fight literally just for that one reason. And it's a shame because she's really not fighting at her weight division, her true weight division. Because in Victor, she was an Invicta FC champion, but she was the Adam weight Invicta FC champion. There's no Adam weight in the UFC. So I guarantee you, if there was an Adam Wade the UFC, this Michelle Warrison would have been like fucking Valentina Shevchenko or Amanda Nunes, just dominating that division. But since there's not many women's fighters in that division total, and it probably honestly wouldn't sell well, the UFC never did it, and Michelle Warrison's just fighting out of fighting in a division that she really doesn't really belong in. That being said, Lemos is a dangerous opponent. A very, very, very dangerous opponent. She has serious power. Limo is sloppy. Limos can be sloppy at times. She can really at times throw cautions to the wind and really try to put her opponent away. We've seen with Michelle Warrison, she can take big shots for five rounds and just keep going. So I think if Michelle Warrison is still is able to keep the fight at kicking range good chance of her winning but if she just lets herself take that damage from Lemos and cannot effectively close that range I think Lemos will win but all in all next week's fight card looks fairly solid for the most part is going to be live so the atmosphere is going to be different you should definitely tune in and this goes episode 11 of round 6 MMA talk with me your boy Noah Petrie this drops every Tuesday at 7 a.m. You can find me on Instagram at Noah underscore A underscore Petrie or on Twitter at Noah Petrie R6. And I hope you have a good day, good day, guys. Enjoy the fights, and I'll see you next week. Bye.